The following audio is a presentation from our Equip study series. In this series, Pastor Josh is walking us through the Lord's Prayer. Would you join us as we learn together in that deep dive of the Lord's Prayer so that we might pray more like Jesus has commanded us to pray? We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information, please visit ashlandcc.net. Thanks for listening. All right, good evening, good evening. We will go ahead and get started. I got 631. There is no handout tonight. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to go through... One verse, give us a stay our daily bread tonight, and then we're going to um, actually pray together later on tonight. So not a whole lot to put on a handout tonight, but I do have some notes. You're welcome to grab a sheet of paper and take notes if you miss the handout and pretend that the praying hands is on it. Um, let me pray for us before we get started. Oh Lord, we come before you this evening stop and just thank you for who you are, whether you are our Father who is in heaven, a perfect Father, a good Father, Lord, and we pray and we ask, Lord, that your will would, that your will would be done in our lives and in our church and in our community and our families and our country. We pray that you would continue to take your name to the nations. And Lord, we pray that you would help us tonight as we continue in Jesus' prayer as a model. Lord, would you transform us? Would you help us, yes, learn how this prayer is a model and know how to shape our prayers throughout the week? Prayers even here at church, prayers um, on our own devotionally, prayers with our families, with our children even. Uh, Lord, would you shape us tonight? Well, not by my words, but by your word. And we love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Before we jump in, I just have a question to open us up. Thanks for doing that, Kyle. <clears throat> oh, there's no pamphlet. It's all right. Thanks for checking, Damon. <laughs> that was really, you know, you weren't very obvious. Is there anything, so in your own prayer life, is there something that you can say that you've prayed for regularly, consistently, constantly for years and years and years? Maybe even since you've been, started off as a Christian. Can you say that there's anything in your prayer life that has stayed with you that you pray for? Are you raising your hand, Dennis, or are you just saying hi? Okay. <laughs> yeah, forgiveness of sin, yeah. Yeah. That's good. What else? That's good, Bob, because that's, that's the model right here. Dan? What was that? Salvation. Salvation of your children? Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I think George Mueller, 
I think he had uh, five people that he prayed for every day to come to Christ. And I believe before he died, four of them, you have to fact check me on this. He got to see four of them come to Christ. And I think the last one came to Christ after he died. So yeah, consistency of praying for the lost, even your own children. What about anything else? Pray for regularly for years. How about your food? Do you ever pray, Lord, would you make sure I have food to eat today? I don't. <laughs> and, and even when we read this verse, verse 10, you know, give us this day our daily bread. What is that a request for? What is that petition for? You know, it, it's someone, it's Jesus saying, Lord, would you give us food to eat today? And they're living in a different context, a different time, right? Um, first century Jew, most of them didn't have hardly any money, and probably food was harder to come by a lot of the time. And so for us, like my fridge is stocked. I've got now I've got to make I got to make Donalds in Lagrange. I got to make Donalds by Kroger. I went there on the way here. It's just not something I think about, and. I'll be honest with you, every time I've read this prayer, I've always just interpreted the give us this day our daily bread as us just thanking God for the food he's given us or thanking him for the provision. And there is an element to that as well. But I also think, and I want us to pick up on this tonight, that there is this real time dependence that Jesus is teaching us when he prays this, give us this day our daily bread depending upon God to give him the food for that day. And I don't know, I, I'm more willing to bet all of us in this room, when we pray, we're not, we're not wondering where our meal is coming from, right? That's pretty safe to say. And, and, and I'm not saying that to make us feel guilty, but I do think this is where a disconnect can come in when we look at this prayer, when we look at Scripture, because we're not in that context. We're not wondering where our next meal is going to come from. We're not wondering uh, where our daily provision is going to come from. There's a little bit of a disconnect for us. And so how do, we, how do we understand what's being prayed here? And how do we incorporate that into our prayers? And that's what I want us to look at tonight. I want us to look just at this petition here, this third petition uh, we've gotten to. And, and I would say this, and there's probably some, some of you in this room, maybe you have been in that scenario where you don't know where your next meal is coming. I, I don't know. Um, I can guarantee you in my life, I might have been dramatic and said, I'm starving, you know, but I don't, I never thought, I can never think of one time where I thought, I'm not going to be able to eat today or tomorrow, you know. I, there's always this sense of, I'm provided for. And that's a good thing. I, I'm thankful for that. But we're trying to get to what Jesus is saying here. I think we have to do a little bit more work for us. So this, when we get to verse uh, 10 here, it marks kind of a, I'm sorry, verse 11. I said verse 10. Uh, when we get to verse 11 here, it marks kind of a shift in the prayer. Because so far, you know, that first week we talked about introduction, what the Sermon on the Mount is, what Jesus is trying to do in taking aim at our hearts. Okay, he's not just looking at external righteousness, external things. He's trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's trying to get to who we really are. 
what he's doing. And then when he comes to the prayer, in order for us to understand the Lord's prayer correctly, we have to understand what he's doing in the whole sermon. And then when we get into the prayer, those first two petitions, the Our Father in Heaven, hallowed or, or, or holy and consecrated be your name, and then your kingdom come, your will be done. These are prayers that are directed, yes, towards God, but we're praying that God's name would be glorified and that his name would go out to the nations and that his name would be, you know, hallowed and, and feared and loved and praised and honored and worshiped. And we pray that his will would be done in all the earth. And so there, there's, it starts off this prayer with this high and mighty, and I mean that in a good way, this glorious prayer that will shape the rest of our prayer. You know, because Jesus says it, pray then like this. First start, not with yourself, but start with God. Pray for his will to be done. Pray for his kingdom to be done. So that you're not starting with your own will, so that you're not starting with your own kingdom. You're not starting with your own things. Not that those things aren't important or that he doesn't care, but he's trying to get us to start with who God is and praying for his will to be done so it shapes the rest of our prayer. And, and it's important with any conversation, especially in prayer with our God, to know who we are addressing when we start to pray. Have you ever had a situation where you were addressing someone you didn't know who they were, and you stick your foot in your mouth? I have, several times. Um, there was one time I started in a new department at my work, and they said, Hey, we want people to bring your grills. If you like to grill, we want you to bring your grill out. And we were providing the food. If you like to grill, just bring it out, and you're going to flip burgers and stuff. And I was excited because I love to grill, so I brought my grill. And, like, I contacted the number who I was supposed to contact to get it all set up and stuff, and they just kind of ghosted me, and they're like, oh, we don't really need you. And then, you know, I, I went, and I started talking to the person next to me at my desk, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is run terribly. Like I, I brought my, I got my grill out here. They told me to bring it out. I went where they told me to. And then they told me they don't need me. Like, what are we even doing? And they're using these frozen patties. Like what, what, this is crap. And no, no, I'm, and then that was the end of that. And then a week later I found out that person I was complaining to is the person who organized the whole event. And it still is like gone unspoken. I haven't brought it up. <laughs> it's, listen, the time, the time between, like the limitation, like it's, it's, it's too far. We can't go back now. That's two years ago. But I didn't know who it was I was speaking to. And then when I found out, I felt terrible because the whole time I was talking to the person who was in charge, just complaining and grumbling, right? When I could have gone about that much better, like, hey, I brought my grill. Do you know what I'm supposed to do? You know? So it's helpful to know who it is you're talking to. I think of another time uh, when I worked for Lifeway, we did these big conference bookstores, um, several thousand square feet just of books people would come and get. And the books were organized into publishing like tables. So like Crossway, who publishes the ESV, they have like the biggest one. It's just massive table. We're selling, they're letting us sell their books. So we're making, and well, it's like 10 o'clock at night. We've been working all day, and I'm the only guy on the table. We were shorthanded, and I was trying to get books out off the off these semi trucks and trying to get them loaded, and was not caring about anyone around me. And this guy comes up. He's like, "Can I can I help you?" And I was like, 
Yeah, man, listen, we're really behind. They kind of just left us in the lurch here. We're doing this, this, and this. Just get on it, you know? And then the whole time, I'd be really short with them, be like, hey, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to do that. Let's do Like, I was short, like, over and over again, just trying to get this thing done. It turns out that guy and his friends they brought with him, they were Crossway. I had no idea. I just thought they were volunteers. But because I didn't know who they were, I just was trying to get them to abide by my will, okay? <laughs> then the whole, when I found out they were Crossway, I was like, man, I'm so sorry, you know, but at that point, I shouldn't even say anything then, you know, but because I didn't know who they were, I couldn't really, you know, address them correctly. I couldn't really treat them. Well, I should have treated them better anyway, but it's similar when we come to God in prayer. I think that that's why he starts off, pray then first like this, our father in heaven. Holy is your name. Holy be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you see how he just starts everything, not with me, 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 me. He starts everything with God first. So Jesus is giving us this perspective on what's of first importance in prayer, and that's the Lord and his glory. But then we get to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And I don't know about you, whenever I think of this, those little daily bread devotionals pop up in my mind. We have them back there, I think. Um, You know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's just what comes up in my mind. But then you think of bread, and and I always thought, well, this is a very elementary petition. Oh, he's just asking that the Lord would provide his bread for him. Lord, provide his food. And I would always think, okay, yeah, we'll just skip over that. I just think of, you know, prayer time at the table when you're a kid. God, you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. I don't even remember the rest of that little prayer. You know, it's, it's the prayer I prayed before I ate for like 10 years, <laughs> before I started praying, any, you know, started, thought, started thinking about my own prayers. But I always just think, oh, this is a very, you know, elementary prayer. Like, we don't need to spend a whole week just on Give us his day or daily bread. But then I started thinking about that question I asked you at the beginning. When's the last time we asked for God to provide for our food, our daily provision for today? And tomorrow when you wake up, are you asking God to provide for you then? And you might say, well, my, my fridge is stocked. So, of course, I give thanks. I thank God for what he's given me. But what I really want us to see, church, tonight is this real-time dependence upon God that Jesus is teaching us in this petition. There's a show, you're going to judge me, that's fine. Uh, Yellowstone, you guys ever seen this show, Yellowstone? Um, John Dutton is the main character. He owns like 50,000 million acres, you know, out in Montana. And the whole show is, Every season is just about him keeping his trying to him trying to keep his land, okay? And he's a very kind of like hardened dude, and there's a lot to admire. You're like, wow, look look what he's built, look who he's on. But there's also a lot to that's terrible about him, too. But one time I was watching this show, and he's the live in the in the show, one of the aspects of his character is that he's the livestock commissioner, which is so that he can have control over the area. 
he can have control politically, he can have control over those livestock agents so that he can keep control for his farm. That's all he cares about. He wants to keep his land. Everything he does in the show, everything, everything, every office he runs for, every decision he makes is about him keeping his land. Doesn't care about anything else. And I remember in the show, as the livestock commissioner, he had to give a prayer for a dinner. And the prayer, I looked it up because I was like, I want to make sure I remember this right. It's very short. He says this, give us rain and a little luck, God, and we'll do the rest. Give us rain and a little luck, God, and we'll do the rest. That was his whole prayer. Folks, that's a prayer of a man who only trusts in himself. Lord, just give us the thing that you're responsible for. Give us some of the rain. I can't make it rain, but then I'll do everything else. And it's, that's kind of crazy. I don't think any of us would pray that in our prayers. Thank, I, I would hope not. But there is a danger here, okay, that when we, when we watch things like this and when we absorb prayers around us, so whether it's on TV or even in songs sometimes, a lot of the times when we watch TV and stuff, I'm not on a crusade against it. I love TV and movies. But the danger of it is not the explicit sex scenes necessarily or the language or maybe gratuitous violence, but a lot of the times the danger of it is the subtle way it can change and form our allegiances. It can readjust our priorities and shift our thinking just by watching something, just by being absorbed in a culture that's absorbed with itself. It can change the way we think, and it can certainly change the way we pray. It changes the way we pray to us, where we're praying for ourselves. And again, yes, we want to pray for ourselves. We come to a Father who cares for us. But are we coming to prayer with a me first? Or God, give, give my king, let my kingdom come before yours does. It creates us to be more self-reliant, more self-sufficient, and increasingly independent. Maybe you hear those three things, and you're like, that's a good thing. And I would say, yeah, to a measure. Like, you know, if, if you're a man, one day you need to move out of your house and provide for yourself or your family, right? But when we're talking about the Christian life, the Christian life is a life of total dependence upon a person, upon Jesus. I love what John Piper says. I say it all the time here just because... It always comes back to hit me. He said one time he was talking to a man and it was an atheist guy and his argument, you've probably heard this, is, oh, Christianity, that's just a crutch for people to get through life. And John Piper, in a John Piper way, said, oh, no, 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 it's way more. It's a whole body cast. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. Because church, especially in our culture, we have to be on guard, okay? Because in our culture, everything, all the heroes in our culture, the heroes of um, our favorite sports, the heroes of our favorite movies, of our favorite musical artists, are all independent, self-reliant, do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. And again, guys... We have, to, we have to weigh this and use, apply wisdom to this because, of course, we want to be motivated. We want to be independent thinking and stuff, right? But not as much as it falls out of line with the gospel, falls out of line with the kingdom and will of God. And that's when we come to this prayer. It helps us form this. It helps, us, it helps get us back 
to where we're supposed to be. Because Jesus teaches a radically different way of living. He's teaching us to live in total dependence upon him. He's flipping that common phrase we use, God helps those who help themselves. Nope. God helps those who are at the end of themselves. The Bible paints a picture of people that are totally reliant and dependent upon God. Not trying to use God to get what they need. So let's look just briefly at bread. And so again, because we're in the New Testament, and especially in Matthew, Matthew, when he writes, everything has so much loaded connotation to it. And we've kind of done that every single week. But especially when we talk about bread, you know, for us, when you tell me, hey, let's pray for our daily bread today, I'm like, and what else? Bread's the starter. I even said to I was on a client trip yesterday, and I was like, they're like, oh, we get bread? I'm like, listen, I don't pick restaurants. I don't go to restaurants anymore. They don't serve me bread first, you know? (laughs) I hate to say that, but it's true. But when we think, when I think of bread, I have something different in mind than what Matthew's hearers were probably thinking. And what Matthew's hearers were thinking is that immediately in their context, bread, that was a staple, a staple diet for them. But there's even more to it. Turn with me in Exodus chapter 16. <coughs> I hope we have time to pray. So far, I'm going kind of slow. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. As we've seen in Matthew already, those first four chapters, Matthew recounts the Exodus, but where Israel failed, Jesus did not fail. And so it's really important for us to understand what Matthew is doing in the Sermon on the Mount and in his gospel. And we have to keep going back to the Old Testament. Because if we're going to understand the new, if we're going to understand what he's trying to say, we have to know what's the context for this. And so when they talk about bread... Bread is just loaded with image and meaning and narrative that they're used to. And arguably the biggest narrative in, the, in Judaism is the exodus from Egypt. And when we get to Exodus 16, just very briefly, God has used Moses to lead the people out of bondage and slavery out of Egypt. He's done these amazing things. He's split the sea, the Red Sea, and he's providing for them. And when we say, like, we're, talk, we're talking probably like upwards of a million plus people, okay? Not just, not just a little bit of people here, but leading them into the wilderness. And God's going to eventually, you know, he's promised to give them a, 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 a place to settle, but also to continue to multiply them and to bless them as a nation. But first, they're in this wilderness, and they've already seen God do amazing things, splitting the Red Sea, and all they had to do, I love in Exodus where it says, all you have to do is sit back and watch me do it. God did everything. But then we get to Exodus 16, which is not far after they leave, and they get into the wilderness and just, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, so I'm going to summarize a lot of this, but I do want to read this very beginning. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second 
month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Guys, I don't know what a meat pot is, but that sounds great. (laughs) And that's what they're thinking. They're saying... Yeah, 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 we, we know you've done all these things, Moses. We know God has brought us out here, but all I can think about is my meat pot. <laughs> you brought us out here just to starve us to death? It hasn't even been that long, guys. And they're already grumbling. And so what does the Lord do? In verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Okay, so I'm going to summarize this chapter. So essentially, God is going to give them meat through quail at night. And then in the morning, they're going to have their daily bread every single morning provided for them by no effort of their own. All that they're supposed to do is to go out and pick it up off the ground. So when Matthew talks about give us this day our daily bread, this is probably a very strong image, this image of God's provision for them in the wilderness, of a people that were grumbling against God and against Moses and Aaron, and then God provides bread out of nowhere. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Skipping around the Old Testament tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Says this, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. All right, here we go. Verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. And that's that bread, right? Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What is God teaching them there? Man, and, and again, we're going to see this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus quotes this passage when the devil is tempting him. Right? Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of the Lord. What's he doing? He, he's replacing, he's like, hey, of course bread is good, but that's not what man lives by. Man is not to depend wholly and completely and totally just on physical bread. No, they are depend upon the Lord and the Lord will provide that. And we see that in Matthew 6 where he says, don't be anxious. The Lord will provide what you need. Later on in John chapter 6, Jesus develops this idea of bread even more. We're not gonna, you don't have to turn there. We're not going to dwell there. But he takes the idea of bread, this daily provision, but he applies it to himself. He calls himself the bread of life. He tells people to feed upon him, to depend upon him. So you see how it's kind of changed a little bit, where bread is very physical. People were grumbling. God provided the bread. And then Jesus takes bread, and later on in the gospel, he's going to say, I am the bread of life. Feed on me. 
What's he saying there? It's not a can. You know, the Romans thought the early Christians were cannibals because they used this language of feeding on Christ in the Lord's Supper. That's but they had no idea what they were talking about. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to depend completely and totally for your sustenance, for everything you need, depend upon me. Because this first century here would hear, would hear bread. Jesus also called himself the water of life. These two daily provisions. Jesus is saying, okay, you don't live by that alone. You depend and trust in me. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 11, we, we talk about this every single week when we take the Lord's Supper together. What's the image? What do we break together? Bread. Symbolic of God's body broken for us, providing for us a way of salvation through his death on the cross. And so, church, when we read in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, there's a whole lot more than just thank you for my food today. There's a whole lot more loaded in here. This petition is teaching us. It's teaching us to depend completely on God. I have four things that I would think this petition teaches us. Is that right? One, two, three. Four things. The first thing, this petition, this petition teaches us to first remember. Why, church? Because oftentimes our biggest problem in the Christian life is amnesia. And it's self-induced. We forget. We are a forgetful people. When God provides for us, and then something else happens two years later, similar, we forget what God did for us. We're forgetful. You know, and we're bad, because we look at the Israelites, we just, you know, we, we just read Exodus 16, we're like, what a bunch of idiots. Thinking about their meat pots, they just saw a sea split, but we are the exact same. We're the exact same. And that's the point. When we read this, we read, we see unfaithful Israel. We see ourselves. We are just as forgetful. Because I know, because if you're in here and you believed in Christ, and you've seen all that he has done for you, and knowing that he's going to be so much more, but you go through a difficult time. And again, I'm not trying to just like, we're not trying to beat you over the head with it. But we do have a... kind of this spiritual amnesia about ourselves. We forget how God has worked in our lives, not just in our lives. We forget how God worked in each other's lives. We forget how God's worked in our church. We forget how God's worked in history and in scripture. We forget. And so when we say, when I say it teaches us to remember, remembrance is a serious thing. We as humans, we operate According to narratives, we see ourselves as part of a story. That's kind of like what I was talking about with John Dutton, like with shows. And listen, I'm the worst out of any of y'all. When I watch a show, I get into it. Okay. I just, I'm like there. Um, One of my favorite books of all time, this this is Mitchell. He read it. He agrees with me. I think Jane Eyre. Listen, when I read Jane Eyre the first time, I felt like I was right there in the room. I was yelling. I was by myself yelling in my living room at a book that was written so long ago because I'm weird. I get sucked up into these stories. But we as humans, we do the same thing. We, we like, you may not get sucked up into that story, but you get sucked up into your own stories, things that appeal to you. 
You watch a movie. I mean, think about like Marvel and, D- and DC. I'm, I'm hoping we don't make any more of these, but you know, they have been reigning for a decade in the movie theater. And you have people just idolizing. Why? Because look at these powerful superheroes. I want to be like that. I'm going to emulate that. I want my life to look like that. We want our story, who we are, to match that. And you may not say, oh, I know I can't have like the power of flight or something. But you can say, I like the way Tony Stark talks. I want to talk like him. I want to emulate that. We are always trying to adapt our narrative, our story to something that we are hooked on to. But when we come back to remember what God has done, what remembering does is helps us not adapt our narrative and our story to something that's false, but to something that's true and that's real and that's grounded in reality and in Scripture. That's what this prayer does for us. We need to see our story as part of the story of God and His redemption of us. That's how we're going to see reality. When we remember correctly, we can then hope correctly, and that'll lead us into the story of the gospel. That'll lead you into flourishing and living. What Matthew's been, what Jesus has been showing us in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I go back to this every week. That first beatitude. Here's, here's what a flourishing life looks like, Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what a That's what a flourishing life looks like. And you think, there's nothing in my culture that says being poor in spirit is a good thing. But this is what Jesus says. Why? Again, he's wanting us to depend upon him, to match our story and our narrative to that of the gospel, to what's real and what's true. And one way to do that is right here in verse 11. The best way to help us remember is to remember God's daily provision that he's provided for us and all the things which he's done for us. And what this does is when we remember his provision for us, we remember that he's fed you today. When you remember that he's clothed you today, it's going to create thankfulness. Thankfulness. And thankfulness, church, is a mighty gospel weapon to combat discontentment. No matter what circumstances come, we can be thankful if it's rooted in the gospel. All right, second. So that first thing, this petition teaches us to remember. Number two, it teaches us to be dependent. I feel like I've beat this horse to death already. We're beating this dead horse, but we're always enamored with these stories of independent thinkers who rise and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But let's church, that's never the whole truth. I, I love how... Um, there's a movie called Man Who Invented Christmas. It's about, I don't even, I don't even know who wrote it. But anyway, it's essentially about um, Charles Dickens and how he wrote A Christmas Carol. And if you're familiar with Charles Dickens, when he, if you've read any of his stuff, he writes a lot about the people that no one wants to hear about. The vulnerable, the orphan, the people that don't look good, the people that are not very smart, the people that are kind of on the lower half of society. But the people that loved his books were, everyone did, first of all, even the rich. But in this movie, it captures it well because he gives a speech at this charity ball in Victorian England. And afterward, this man and his wife come up to him and they're showing, and he just says, essentially, like he has this disdain for Charles Dickens and his books. 
And so Charles Dickens says, what is it you particularly object to in my books? And the man said, pickpockets, street walkers, charity boys. Those people don't belong in books. Charles Dickens says, those people? Do you mean the poor? And the man just dodges it. He says, look here, Mr. Dickens, I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, never asked for anything from anyone that I wasn't willing to pay for. Mr. Dickens said, no help from anyone? He said, none. And then his wife chimes in and said, well, Papa did give us a very small cotton mill for our wedding, which got us started. And so I, I tell you that because that guy was like, after that, the guy was like, get, let's get out of here, you know, because he didn't have an answer for it. Because here's the thing. None of us have completely only pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Martin Luther King said it well. He says, it's all right to tell a man to lift himself up by his own bootstraps, but it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself up by his own bootstraps. What is he saying there? He's saying it's cruel to tell someone who doesn't have boots to lift himself up by his bootstraps. And here's the reality, church, is that all of us, we don't have boots. We don't have anything to pull ourselves up by. We need Christ completely, totally dependent upon Christ for everything, everything, always coming in. I love one of, one of the best things about my dad, not perfect, but what another thing, and it used to just drive me nuts, and sometimes maybe it does, just to be honest, he prays for everything. And, and again, I know there, there's a sense in which you know, you don't have to pray for everything for every decision. But my dad, when he says he prays for you, he's going to pray for you. And he takes a long time to do it. He prays for everything. And I think it's because the older he's gotten, the more he realizes because of circumstances in his life have taught him that he's ultimately not in control. He's not the ultimate one in his life. He's going to depend upon God. And so when we come to this this petition, that's what it's teaching us. It's teaching us this dependent. Our goal is to grow increasingly dependent upon God day by day. And this petition, give us this day our daily bread, will help us to accomplish it. And church, I, I think since looking at this study, you know, we, we often are all like, because we're Protestant, we're like, whatever Catholics do, we want to do the opposite. Okay, I get that. But I do see there's, there's a lot of value here. If you were to pray this every morning before your feet hit the floor, praying this prayer to reorient you back to what's important and what is right and what is true and what is good so that you're going to live your day in reality and not in your own makeshift narrative, pray this prayer every morning. Again, it's not a, you guys know what I mean, right? It's not an enchantment. But when we pray, it's for us to depend upon God. It's, it's transforming us. Let me ask you this question, and we don't have time to really open it up, but when do you feel most vulnerable? When are you most aware of your limitations in your life? When is that? I mean, just think for a minute. And I could tell you, for me, it's whenever I'm sick. That's when I'm most aware of how limited I am. Uh, there's this character on uh, Parks and Recreation. His name's Chris Traeger, and he wants to be the oldest man to ever live. It's just, he's just like a silly, 
you know, super positive guy. He, you know, and he's super into health. And so whenever he gets something, even the little thing wrong with his health, he just completely falls apart, you know? And I kind of get like him when every time I get sick, even if it's a cold. (laughs) Because I feel, that's when I feel my limitations kicking in. Like even this past week, I had the flu. It's gone now. It's okay. You're, You're safe. But I had the flu this past week, and I was like, you know, I'm at home. Instead of just sleeping all the time, I could be reading and studying for next Wednesday night. And boy, every time I opened up a book, I just stared at it, and I'd just be like, I can't focus on anything. Like, I don't know why. I, I just can't do it. Like, my body just won't even let me. I just have to shut down. And that's built in for us. And then maybe it's not sickness for you. I, I think it probably is. That's one thing. There's probably several things in your life that show you that you're not in control that, and that you are vulnerable. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how hard you think you can go, there are times and circumstances in your life where God uses to humble you and show you, hey, you need to depend upon me. I think, I think it's helpful that if, if we could get to that point every time in our prayer, when we, when we get down on our knees, that that's what we're saying. We're saying, no matter if you're going to pray for one minute or ten minutes, remember if you're praying on Sunday morning, when every time you get, that's what you're doing. You're depending upon God. So this petition teaches us to be dependent, or sorry, to remember, to be dependent, but this petition also teaches us to pray for others. Okay, we, we covered this at the beginning, but what does it say? It says, Jesus says, give us our, our daily bread. Not give me my daily bread, give us our daily bread. It's this communal aspect that Jesus prays. And, and it's not just in this petition, it's in the whole prayer. Our Father, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why is that? Because again, as we grow dependent upon God, God is also wanting us to not only think about ourselves, but about one another. And there may be a time where, I kind of said this already at the beginning, where maybe you're struggling because you have an amnesia, like you feel like you're in this really rough spot, and you you can't see how God's going to get you out, but you look over to your brother or sister who's just suffered something. You see how God is providing for them. That's how our Christian life works. He uses one another. The people in this room, church, these are, these are the people God uses to help you depend upon him, to help transform your prayer life. But as we give thanks for what has been given to us, let us also ask on behalf of those who we are in church with, who, who we fellowship with. So this petition teaches us to remember, to depend, to pray for others. And then finally, too, this petition teaches us moderation. And this is kind of a, just a, I don't want to say a side application. It's important. I don't, I, it's just something I gleaned from it when I was reading it. Because you notice in Jesus' ministry, there's times where he is feasting like the wedding at Cana. It's like a week-long feast. Like there's a lot of food happening there. Meat pots for days, I'm sure. Lots of wine flowing, you know? And if you're with Jesus, it's the good stuff. It's not that diluted stuff, okay? 
So there's times where Jesus is feasting, but there's also times where Jesus is fasting, where he's not eating. And then the majority of the time is just normal daily food. Just normal daily food. Not every meal that you eat has to fill you up. So this is a little bit more practical, but not everything that, not every time you sit down to eat, do you need to be completely fully satisfied? You don't. You just have to survive. Eat to survive. Again, there's times where, like we, me and Jesse and Gabby, we went out on a date Saturday. We went to Malone's, and we got steak, and it was great. I never eat steak in my house. Unless maybe if you come over, I'll cook a steak. But like just for us, we're not eating steak. Usually we're eating soup, you know, and that's cool. It's our own meat pot. All right. But there's this there's this aspect that even as we pray and we're asking for our daily provision, it's not us asking God, will you just fill me up every time I sit down to eat? No, it's just Jesus is this model of moderation and self-control and not not just with eating the eating is just a gateway into just a whole life of moderation of self-control controlling your temper that's the life we're to live as christians a life submitted to god dependent upon god but this prayer it's it's the heart shaper for where the battle of self-control is won because self-control, moderation, it's, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. If you can't control yourself, you've got a heart problem. And the good news, okay, is that God has the solution, and it's Christ. Because that's what Jesus is doing through the whole Sermon on the Mount, is he's taking aim at our hearts. He's trying to get to who we really are. All right, we have about... 15 minutes, and I wanted to spend some time tonight actually in prayer. We've done a study on prayer. We haven't prayed much, right? But what I would like to do is for you to get in groups four, five, six, probably no bigger than that. And I don't have a specific prayer prompt for you, but what I would like you to do, okay, whoever's praying or most of you who pray, model your prayer after what we've seen in the Lord's Prayer so far. So starting first with God. Praising Him for who He is. Asking that His name would be made holy. Asking that His name would be known among the nations. Asking that His will would be done in the world, but also in your own life. And then move on to daily provision. Whatever's going on. I'll, I'll give you, there's a lot of sickness happening right now. In, even in our church, not just in our church, but a lot of people are sick. And Rick texted me beforehand. I know... Um, all of them, I think all of them except for one have had the flu. But you guys know Benji with the kidney stuff. He's a little more susceptible. Sickness is a bigger, a little bit bigger deal. And so I think they're afraid of he might get admitted. And so that's something that we could pray for as well. So let's go ahead and split up. I'll give everybody about 10, 10 minutes. And then Dan is going to come up and lead us in a song and close us out.